0: How are you guys doing today? Turn to your neighbor before we do anything else, before we sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, you look amazing today. Now turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and be like, you look okay. Just, can we do that? All right. You guys like who you're sitting next to today? Okay. two people said yes. I hope you like who you're sitting next to today because I'm going to preach for about two and a half hours. So I want you to be comfortable next to them. I hope they smell well and they took a shower. You guys can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for being here at Gulfside. I love this church. Uh, I love your pastor. How many guys know you have an incredible pastor in Paul and Tia Erminger? I love them so much. Uh, he, he made a joke and said that it uh, takes a special kind of person to be his friend. Let me just tell you how untrue that is. He is a wonderful pastor and a true friend to me. He's been so kind to our family, and I love talking to him because I learn so much when I'm around him and I'm benefited. And I, let me just tell you right now if we weren't planning a church, I would love to attend Gulfside Church because it is something else when you have a pastor couple that loves you guys, that believes in this community. Every time he talks about Cape Coral, his eyes light up. He believes in you. He believes in God's purpose in this city. And I just want to encourage you guys to get behind it because God's going to do great things through Gulfside. Do you guys believe that this morning? Awesome. I want to show you guys a picture of my family real quick. Uh, This is, and I'm doing this because statistically you guys are to enjoy my message if you guys see a picture of my family so a little light manipulation to start off the message but there's my wife Ashley who's sitting in the front row she's gorgeous my oldest son Roman and then my middle son Micaiah and my youngest son Titus we have three boys um, we went for a girl each time and God gave us a boy each time and people keep on asking us are you going to go for another I'm like no we had Titus uh, he made sure that we're never having another child how many of you guys know that younger kid hits different doesn't they Number three is like six children rolled into one, let me tell you. So I'm going to get right into the message this morning. I'm excited to be here for your sermon series called The Story. It is incredible when you look at the totality of Scripture. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we can get a little uh, maybe tired going through some of the uh, early chapters in the earlier books of the Bible, but let me tell you, the story of Scripture is incredible to behold. When you get the whole Bible into you, and you take a step back, and you realize that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus, all of Scripture is pointing to what Christ did on the cross, and all of human history is God's redemptive story for you and I and for mankind, it is a beautiful thing. But this week, we're looking at the story of Moses. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Moses? If you're not, I'm going to give you a really quick Reader's Digest recap in just a second. Some of us, we have different, uh, we've heard different things about Moses, particularly if you didn't grow up in church. Maybe some of your introduction to Moses is the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt. How many guys, you're like, that's where my theology comes from, you know? Val Kilmer, voice of Moses and God, let's go. Is <laughs> all European cast voicing Egyptians, nothing wrong with that. Some of you guys, maybe you saw, there's a movie that came out a few years ago called Odds and Kings with Christian Bale in it. You guys see that movie? Man, I remember that movie came out. That movie upset me for a lot of reasons because they fundamentally changed scripture when they made that film and one of the things that they did was they changed the character of Moses and they gave Moses a sword. Can you guys throw up the picture? This is Moses leading the children of Israel with a sword looking like Rambo with sandals, right? Like, that's, that's not the way that, Mo, that Moses described himself as the meekest man that ever lived, which, by the way, if you describe yourself as the meekest person that ever lived, you're probably not as meek as you think you are, but that's a side point. This is not the way Moses lived. We read about Moses in the Bible, he never carried a weapon. He never carried a sword. In fact, he carried something really different, and I brought it, you guys. Archaeologists just found this, and they let me use it. This is Moses' original staff. They just dug it out of the earth. I mean, you could see, very authentic. This is a shepherd's staff. Moses is an actual, st- I'm a pastor, I wouldn't lie. And, why are you laughing? This is real. But the Bible tells us that Moses had a staff, not a sword. Now Hollywood wanted to change it around because they think that a sword is more exciting and we're gonna get behind an action hero more than a shepherd. But I wanna let you know that's not the story of scripture. Are you with me this morning? The story of scripture isn't what's popular, isn't what's interesting. In fact, when Jesus came, he described himself as a shepherd and everyone tried to make him a political figure everyone tried to shoehorn Jesus into this box of, no, you are a religious revolutionary, and you're going to bring freedom to the Jewish people from the Roman occupation. And they tried to put a sword in Jesus's hand, and Jesus would every time lay down the sword and pick up a staff, because he's like, I'm not here to fight your political battles. I'm here to lead you to something better. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that's who Jesus is in your life. He's trying to lead you to something better. Stop trying to put Jesus into this box to fight the battle that you feel he should fight and start following Jesus as a good shepherd that's leading you where he's trying to take you. Can I get an amen in this church? Do you guys know how to say amen, turn to your neighbor and say amen. Turn to your other neighbor this morning and say, you better say amen. I came to this church this morning because I heard you guys like to say amen. And I didn't have any coffee, so I need you guys to caffeinate me with some hallelujahs, okay? Come on, give me your best media Hallelujah. Come on, everybody. All right. We're gonna open up our uh, passage of scripture this morning. I, I've only got two, uh, two passages we're gonna look at this morning because I believe the Bible's so potent, you could do a lot with a, with a verse, amen? amen? Exodus chapter four, starting in verse one. We're gonna to get to that in a second. For those of you guys that don't know about Moses, I'm gonna give you the quick recap. Moses was born into slavery in Egypt to the Hebrew people. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decided that there were too many of these slaves So he decided, we're going to kill all of the the male-born children. In the process, Moses' mother hides him, puts him in a little raft, and sends him down the river, and he's found by Pharaoh's own daughter, and he's raised in Pharaoh's own house as a prince of Egypt. After some time passes, he commits a crime and becomes a fugitive, leaves, and finds himself in the wilderness I don't know if anybody, you've been in that place in your life where maybe you started from the bottom and you worked your way up only to find the rug pulled out from underneath of you. Maybe that was the pandemic for some of you. Maybe you lost a business and you struggled to get there and then all of a sudden you find yourself out in the wilderness. I want to let you know God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. And so we pick up the story as Moses is now a shepherd, once a prince of Egypt that rose to that rank from a place of slavery and now he's shepherding in the wilderness and God appears to him in a burning bush and begins speaking to him and calling him back to Egypt to see the children of Israel made free. And Moses begins to argue with God. Anybody ever do that? Just me? Just me and my homeboy back there in the eagle shirt, I see you. We're the only honest ones here. God shows up and gives us a purpose and we're like, whoa, 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 God. Moses begins to argue with God For verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. God, you can't use me. I have a speech impediment. God, you can't use me. I'm too old. God, you can't use me. I like the Kansas City Chiefs. God, you can't use me. (laughs) I found the one. I saw a lot of Eagles jerseys, so I thought I was safe. (laughs) God, you can't use me. I wanna let you guys know when you argue with God, it's pointless, it's a pointless endeavor. Because God's already got all the answers. And God, after, after literal chapters of Moses arguing with God, in chapter four, verses one, we pick up the story. And it says, but Moses protested again. You can see how, how long it's gone that it said he protested again. This is not the first time. Amen. Oh, you guys are learning. Moses said, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? And Moses replied, a shepherd's staff. Really, this is the one that's authentic. A shepherd's staff. That's not stable at all. There we go. I'm going to have to bend down and get that later. I want us to lean into this this morning. Moses is giving God all these reasons why God can't use him. And God's like, I don't care about your reasons. And God asks him a question that has nothing to do with the excuses that Moses has been giving God. You guys ever have God do that to you? You give God your laundry list of reasons why God's wrong and God just circumvents your excuses and gets right to something, asks you a question or presents you with an option that you weren't even talking to God about. You're like, God, are you listening to me? I'm not talking about what's in my hand. I'm talking about what I don't have within me. And I think that this is fascinating because Moses is trying to remind God of of his lack. But here's my first point for you this morning. God knows who we are and where we've been. God knows who we are and where we've been. I want to let you know something this morning, church. God knew that Moses had already been placed in a basket, floated down a river, was raised in the Pharaoh's house. God knew that he fled from Pharaoh as a baby and then fled from Pharaoh as an adult after he became a fugitive. God knew that he came from a life of slavery and ascended to a life of privilege and then became a criminal and a fugitive. God knew that he was raised in the Pharaoh's house and God knew, who better to go and see my people freed from the Pharaoh than somebody that was a slave and then lived in the house of the Pharaoh, who better talk to the Pharaoh, and go and plead for the freedom from my people Then this man named Moses. I want to let you know something this morning, church. God isn't surprised by your past. Amen? Look at your neighbor this morning and say, God knows everything. Everything. God's not surprised by your past. Listen, you're not going to catch God off guard with a revelation, God, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you knew this, but when I was 19 years old, I got arrested. And God's like, oh, I've obviously come to the wrong person. I apologize. I had no idea of your misdemeanor. Let me go and use someone else who has never made a mistake, because you are obviously a dumpster fire. You're not going to catch God off guard by your inadequacies. God designed you with them. Amen. God designed you with your shortcomings. God designed you with your receding hairline. God designed you with your speech impediment. God designed you this way. God designed you exactly the way he wanted you to be so that to fulfill the exact purpose that he created you to fulfill. But God, I don't look like them. That's fine. God didn't give you their calling. God gave you yours fulfill your ministry, fulfill your purpose, church. And God has placed you exactly where he wants you in the circumstances that he wants you to be in to accomplish his purpose. God has placed you in the lives of the people around you so that you can accomplish his will. Anybody in here, you, you question why God put you in the family he put you in? Hell. Yeah. Amen. Some of you guys, you got that cousin that shows up for Thanksgiving dinner. You're like, How did you find us? <laughs> we didn't tell you what house we were meeting at specifically, and you here, and we gotta act like we like you for an hour and a half. God, why did you give me these pants? Anybody? Why did you give me God put you in that family? God gave you that backstory. God gave you those circumstances because there are people that you are called to reach that nobody else can reach but you. Your crazy cousin that you can't stand, guess what? Nobody else can stand him either. And you are the optimal person to preach the gospel to him so that he can transform by the power of Jesus Christ and become a new creation. The old things are gone away, everything becomes new. And now all of a sudden, he's somebody that people can tolerate because he got Jesus in him and you brought him to Jesus. This is the story. God has placed you exactly where it wants. Listen to me. Who you are and who you know is no accident. It's no accident. A lot of times we think that all this stuff is just happenstance. Listen, God uses all of it. God knows exactly where you are, the workplace that you're in, the situation you find yourselves in, the people you find yourself surrounded with. God knows where you are and who you know is no accident. Moses became a shepherd leading Sheep through the wilderness to better pastures. Now that's a far cry from the palace, but have you ever found yourself in such a place where you had fallen low? You're not where you once were. Situations in life used to look better than they do today. How could God use a lowly shepherd like Moses? How could God use me after my divorce? How could God use me after my bankruptcy? How could God use me after my failure? How could God use me? Listen, God knew that he needed a shepherd to lead his sheep. He didn't need somebody with a sword. He needed somebody with a shepherd's staff. Because listen, he's not trying to look like the leaders of the world. He's trying to look like Jesus who's coming. He's trying to set people up for the good shepherd who will one day come to lead people from their sins. This is the story In fact, Moses even says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15, he says, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is coming, and he's gonna look like me. He's gonna look like a shepherd. He's gonna look like a shepherd. And I was placed in a basket, he's gonna be placed in a manger. I'm going to send 12 spies into the promised land, and he's going to send 12 disciples into the same land. Are you with me this morning, church? I'm going to, you're going to get bit by poisonous serpents, and I'm going to hold a stick, and if you look upon it, you might be saved from sure death. One day, Jesus is going to be held up on a stick as well, and if you look upon him, you'll be saved from eternal death. Listen, I am pointing the way to something better and something greater. And many people think that God can't use me because I'm not somebody. God never uses somebody's. Anybody that's anybody is somebody because of Christ in them. God never uses somebody. Look at the entire Bible. The one time where everybody chose somebody that was somebody, his name was King Saul, and it didn't work out very well. You guys will get to that, I'm sure, soon. And then God chooses another lowly shepherd, the lowest of his family. God is not in the business of elevating the elevated. God is in the business of taking the last and elevating them to the first. And those that are first will be humbled and those that are last will be exalted because God does things differently than we do. So stop thinking that you have to become somebody. If you were somebody, you wouldn't need God. But because you're nobody, you need somebody to come inside of you and make you somebody. Are you with me this morning, church? And then when God uses you, God gets all the glory instead of you because everybody knows what a train wreck you are. (laughs) Oh, it's got to be God if they're using him. That's got to be Jesus. Cause that guy is crazy. My second point this morning is God gives us all that we need. God gives us all that we need. Stop thinking for a second that God is going to call you and not equip you. Could it be that God orchestrates the situations in our life to bring us to the exact place with the exact experiences, holding the exact tools that He needs of us in order to fulfill His plan? Could it be that God's got it all figured out? Could it be that God knows exactly what He's doing? God gives you all that you need, including your circumstances and your experiences. You know, whenever I counsel people, I always always tell them people are never who they are in that moment. They are the sum total of all the experiences of their life that have led them to that moment. You ever get into an argument with somebody and you like trigger something in them and you get a response and you're like, where did that come from? All I said was something innocuous. And you're, you're mad. You're upset. Where did that come from? And you're judging them based off of what you did in that moment, not everything that came before that moment that caused them to respond the way that they did. Are you with me this morning? There's a lot of trauma in the background, and you just happen to step in. Listen, God allows you to go through situations like that in your life to form you into the person that you are. It can, be hap- it can happen in a negative way where we allow the bad things and the traumas and the disappointments and the failures of our past to trigger us in negativity at every turn. Or it can be a positive thing where God gives you experience, are you with me, to be able to reach somebody. Because God sees things differently than you do. Anybody in here, you ever use a GPS and you start arguing with the dang GPS? I am not turning left on Del Prado. I know a better way. You start arguing with the GPS. Why are why are you taking me this route? This is stupid. Sir, you don't know nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but but, but sometimes look, we just gotta trust the GPS. Because sometimes the GPS sees something that we don't see. Sometimes the GPS sees that there is some construction going on the road that you normally take and it's giving you a detour and you're sitting there arguing with it but you don't understand that you have a linear view and it has an aerial view. And listen, God works the same way. You're sitting down here and you're just looking at your current circumstance, your current situation. You're looking at the person that's irritating you right now. You're looking at the crisis you got to overcome, but God is above all of it and God sees the end from the beginning and God knows every turn along the way and God knows exactly how to get you where he's trying to get you to go if you will submit to him and trust him and say, God, I don't know why you're taking me left on down, but I'm going to go there because I trust you. And I trust that you know where I'm going. And I trust that you know how to get me there because it is our experiences that equip us and become tools that we will use later on in our lives. All of our experiences. And God had to get the Egypt out of Moses before Moses could get the people out of Egypt. He had bondage to his past, limitations, and he needed to lead people out of the bondage to their past and their limitations. And you can never have freedom for yourself and others if you stay bound. Amen. You can never have freedom for your children if you stay bound yourself. Now, why don't my kids love the Lord? Do you? Now, my kids just, they, they want to read the Bible. They see you reading it. You're never going to see freedom for someone else if you stay bound. And God lets you go through these storms sometimes. God lets you. I'm not saying God causes them, but God allows it because he knows it's going to develop something in you. Like Pastor Paul said, we're in transition right now. We're looking to plant a church in Texas. So I've been, I've been in ministry my whole life since I was a fetus. You guys are like, how is that possible? Believe me. I came out and the first words I said weren't mama, dad, dad, ball. I said, John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he gave His only God, so I believe in him, shall I perish, but have eternal life. Amen. I got the doctor saved and everything. <laughs> Hadn't even cut the umbilical cord and they're already getting baptized. It was crazy. For the first time in my life, I'm not preaching every Sunday. It's weird. It's weird. It's strange for me. And, and, and the beginning of uh, this past year in January, I was building a deck, I was building a porch at my house, and I was underneath the porch, and I dropped some screws, you know, you're underneath and you're trying to put screws, and I dropped a screw on my face, and I grab another screw, and I drop that screw, I grab another screw, I dropped that screw, and I just got so mad, I kicked the box of screws. <laughs> Why am I building a deck? I used to stand on platforms and stages, preach the gospel. And people would get saved. Nobody's getting saved from this deck. What eternal significance does this porch have? It'd be standing on a stage, not laying under a deck. And I felt God speak to me. If you can't be content to lay under the deck, you'll never have the character that you need to stand on the stage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, and not for man. If you cannot build a deck as an act of worship to me, how dare you get on a stage and try and preach the gospel? Your heart will never be in the right place. Build that deck, boy. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, God may allow you to go through storms to give you substance. There's nothing worse than somebody that comes and preaches from a lack of experience. I'm going to say it again. God may allow you to go through storms to give you substance. My next point, point number three, is God is unlimited. God's unlimited. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, God's unlimited. Say, unlike my data plan at T-Mobile, he's actually unlimited. He doesn't throttle himself when I use too much. Tell you what, what a ripoff. For three chapters... Moses protested by highlighting his limitations. Don't worry about who you were yesterday, who you're going to be tomorrow. Focus on who God is and allow him to use you today. Get the attention off of you. Sometimes you're staying stuck in your crisis because you're too focused on yourself and your limitations and your situations instead of just turning your eyes upon Jesus. It's a song that we used to sing when I was a kid. If you grew up in church, maybe you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I look at Jesus, everything else melts away. My limitations melt away. My problems melt away. The obstacles in front of me melt away. And all of a sudden, I have focus. I have perspective. It's not me. It's Christ in me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whether I have very little or very much, I know that God, who is the God of angel armies, who opens doors that no man can open and closes doors that no man can close, He goes before me. He's beside me he's, me. he's behind me. He's beneath me at all times. And God is for me. So who can be against me? How many great men in the Bible limited themselves? Abraham, God, I'm too old. Somebody in here, that's what you're saying to God, right? I'm too old. You can't use me. I'm too crusty. <sighs> Gideon, God, I'm too scared. I can't witness to that person in Subway. God, I'm terrified. Have you allowed your limitations to limit you when you serve an unlimited God? Your past, your mistakes, your failures? You know what's crazy to me is, is, is this, if there is there's a church that could have a lot of excuses, it's Gulfside. It could. It could. You know, let me explain what, what I mean started a few years ago, and you have had two major hurricanes, global pandemic, you were displaced for a little while, didn't have a place to meet, and you're like going into temporary locations, all of this in the first five years of you being a church. That's a lot of opportunities to quit. That's a lot of opportunities to give God excuses, but you serve a miracle working God. And right now, this church that started right after Irma, gone through a pandemic, gone through another hurricane, gone through all of these things, you guys bought land to build a building, and you own that land free and clear. Because you serve a miracle-working God. You bought land in Cape Coral where land is $2 million square inch. And you got the best deal in history because there was an eagle that built a nest on the land and no one else wanted to buy it. Because God put an eagle in a tree. You guys lucked out with 14 acres of land in a pandemic. Because you serve a miracle-working God. Oh, but God, there's a hurricane and there's a pandemic. I don't care. I'm about to put an eagle on 14 acres so you guys can have it for a song and a dance. My fourth point this morning is God can and will use anything. God can and will use anything. What's in your hand, Moses? A stick. And Moses doesn't even have, like, a kid's imagination. How many of you guys got little kids and you're like, what's in your hand? They're like, a battle axe. (laughs) I am Conan the Conqueror. Like, that's a stick. Moses didn't even have that, like, six-year-old imagination. He's like, it is a stick, God. I got nothing for you. (laughs) Moses is standing in front of God, holding in his mind what was a tool of his trade. That God would use to perform miracles. All throughout the story of Moses, go home and read it for yourself. Please read it for yourself. Moses' staff is used in almost every single miracle that God performs. He touches it to the Nile, the Nile turns to blood. He touches it to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts. He throws it down, it becomes a snake, and it eats another snake. It's like, you guys are like, Man, you don't need to watch Game of Thrones, just read the Bible. stuff's bananas. Sometimes the things that we hold in our hands that seem so ordinary, the very things that God has destined for greatness. Are you with me this morning? God is just a stick. God's like, it's not about to be. You look at the Bible, there's so many stories of people with ordinary things that God used for the miraculous. There's a, a, a story in the Bible of this woman that was a widow and, and, and she came to the man of God and she's like, I, I, need a, I need a miracle. And the man of God's like, what do you have? She's like, this tiny jar of oil. The prophet's like, that's all God needs. I'm about to multiply that oil. There's a little boy that comes to Jesus, and there's so many hungry people, and Jesus is like, what do you have, little boy? He's like, I got, I got two loaves and a fish. And Jesus is like, I'm about to feed 5,000 with that. What do you have in your hand? David comes to God, and God's like, David, what do you have? And David's like, all I got is a sling. God's like, guess what? You're about to take out Goliath. You're going to take out Optimus Prime with that little thing. Jesus, the Savior of mankind, shows up, and they're like, what good can come from a city like Nazareth? And Jesus is like, watch me. I'm about to walk on water right out of Nazareth. Check it out. I'm about to open blind eyes. I'm about to raise the dead, and I came from a little city that everybody thinks is insignificant. What's in your hand? Is it your testimony? Is it your story? Is it your time? Is it your availability? Is it your talent? Is it your finances? God. God, I don't know how you're going to use me. I'm retired. I'm 70, 71 years old and I'm retired, God. I got nothing I got nothing but time. And God's like, I can use that. I can use your time. God, I don't know how you're going to use me. I got, I got three crazy kids. Bring them to church. Get them plugged in. Get them serving. Let, let them put some of that energy out. Serving God. Are you with me? What is in your hand that God can use this morning? If you would just come to him and say, God, I don't know what you can do with it. It's just a boring stick. I don't know what your plan is. God's like, I don't care if you don't see what I see. If you'll just surrender it to me and let me use it and put it in my hands, I'm going to do something miraculous with it that you never thought possible. I'm going to take that pickup truck that you thought was worthless, and I'm going to use it somehow, some way, that this pastor can't even make up in his mind to spread the gospel, to see people get saved. I'm going to use the chainsaw you have in your garage during a hurricane to help clear people's yards. What do you have? What do you have? I will use it. This is the story of scripture. It's about use. Whatever you have, surrendering it to God, submitting it to God, and God will use it. My fifth and final point this morning is that when God touches it, it's never the same. When God touches it, it's never, that, never the same. When you look at Scripture up to this point, it's called Moses' staff, but later on in Scripture, they change the name, and anytime they refer to it, they call it God's rod. Look it up. Moses' staff at first, but then when God gets a hold of it, it's never the same, and now it's God's rod. It's the instrument for miracles. In fact, they put it in the Ark of the Covenant moving forward because of its significance. It was no longer a shepherd's staff. It was one of the most holy things the Israelites had and they carried it with them everywhere that they went. And it reminds me of a story. I want to share the story with you guys in closing. There was an auctioneer, and he worked at this auction house, and, and he sold things day in, day out. And he had a system down. Anybody ever gone to an auction before? And he's selling different things. He's like, "We got a mic stand up here. Anybody want to bid on a mic stand? Mic stand. We got a bid on a mic stand. One dollar. One dollar. Anybody going to want? Got one dollar. One dollar. Two dollar. Two dollar. $2, $2, three dollar $3 sold. Sold three dollars." all these items, I got a table here, I got a table, $5, anybody see $5, $5, Five dollars. $6, $6, $7, $8, selling things all day long, and he finally, at the end of a long day, he sees this guitar that's sitting off in the corner, and it's an old beat-up guitar, it's been around for a while, it hasn't been in a road case, I know that one's pretty, but use your imagination. And he's like, I got an old guitar, $5, anybody want to bid $5 on this old guitar, $5, anybody, $5, $5, nobody. Nobody bids $5 on this guitar. And he says, okay, $1. Anybody, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1. $1. We gotta we gotta close down. We, I'm running out of time. We gotta close. Well $1, anybody. Uh, I'll give you $1, anybody. I gotta pay you $1. I pay you $5. I pay you $10. Anybody, just get it out of here. I'll give you $10 and a bag of Fritos. Let's go. And nobody seems to want this old, beat up, gross guitar. But as he's telling the story, a a gentleman comes out of the crowd and he walks up and he makes his way to the stage and he picks up this old beat-up guitar and he starts playing. Can you guys turn up? Is that possible? And he starts playing this. Can you play something really beautiful? That's what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, the people that are sitting in the room, something emotional starts happening. You ever hear a song and it takes you back? hear this song and like, man, that reminds me of the old pickup truck days, reminds me of going to the drive-in theater, oh, that reminds me of the summer of 69, there's a a, a lady sitting on the front, it reminds her of church, reminds her of a song that her granddaddy used to sing on his old acoustic guitar when everyone was getting ready that Sunday morning. Everybody across the room, all of a sudden, like, little hankies come out. People start drying their eyes a little bit. People get emotional. People start crying, and they start feeling moved, like good music moves people. And the auctioneer himself gets emotional, but he's a businessman, so he sees an opportunity. $100. Do I see $100? $100 out there. I see $200, $200 right there. $300, $300. I see $300, $400, $500, $600, $700, $800. $800 thank you, sir. $800 for the man in the teal Spirit. Anybody else? I $800, $900. I see $1,000. I see $1,500. $1, and before too long, he says sold at $5,000. Oh, dang, boy. We got Prince throwing down some purple rain behind me, y'all. All right, now you're just showing off. Okay. <laughs> He's like, I've waited my whole life for this moment. <laughs> and somebody comes up to the auctioneer after the auction. He's like, I have no clue what just happened. I was about to take that guitar when you were offering it for 10 bucks and a bag of Fritos. And now you just sold it for $5,000. What made the change? They the auctioneer looked at him. He said, it was nothing but the touch of the master's hand just sitting up there worthless nobody could see its potential nobody could see what it could be used for nobody could could conceive of the beauty that could come from such an object until the master got a hold of it and slung it over his eagle's jersey who may or may not be Super Bowl champs today and he played something so beautiful that everybody 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 understood its capacity. What has God placed in your hands that you might have overlooked, undervalued? What does your staff look like? Is it a relationship in your life? Is it a location? Is it your talent? What do you have? What do we have that God would use if we let him? This morning, what I would like everybody to do, if you can, I would like you to close your eyes with me and hold your hands out to God. And we're gonna pray together. Father, we come before you this morning meeting in a high school auditorium in the city of Cape Coral, In a church that has had so many opportunities to close its doors, but it's thriving and it's reaching a city and people are coming in and meeting Jesus. And we know that we were positioned in this church for such a time as this to fulfill your purpose on our lives, God. That the story of scripture is carrying on through our lives in our context today. And the message of Jesus Christ is carrying on in our lives the same way that it was illustrated through Moses. And God, we lift up our hands to you this morning and ask you to use what we have use our marriages, use our children, use our families, use our friendships, use our careers, use our finances, use our time, use our talents, God, use our energy. Whatever we have, God, we put it in your hands and we ask you to have your way in our lives, God. We surrender fully to you, asking you to move and you to do what only you can do, God. It's not about us. It's about you, We thank you for everything you've given us, God. We thank you for the good and the bad alike. We thank you for the the days of sunshine and the days of rain because we know that all of them have formed us into the vessel that you have before you now. And all that we ask is that you would fill us up for your glory. Use what we have, God, every ounce. In Jesus' name we pray.